I'm Will Primos. I'm in New Mexico hunting elk, and you're listening to the Fochi Creek Podcast. This is Cody Robbins from Live to Hunt with Cody and Kelsey, and you're listening to Joby and Shed with the Fochi Creek Podcast. You're listening to Joby and Shed on Fochi Creek Podcast. You're listening to Joby and Shed on the Fochi Creek Podcast. It's not as good to speak the language, but it's close. <laughs> this is Ben Rising with Whitetail Edge. You're listening to Foshi Creek Podcast with Shed and Joby. This is Austin Delano with Mossy Oak Biologic and Gamekeepers, and you're listening to Joby and Shed Whitaker on Foshi Creek Podcast. All right, you're listening to the Foshi Creek Podcast. I'm Joby Holland. With me is Mr. Dustin Shed Whitaker, and uh, today's guest is uh, Mr. Justin Rogers. Justin is, uh, I, I'm going to let you tell him what all you've done and who you are, but uh, I'm going to basically say that you're the owner of old south lures and you can take them from there so justin thanks for for being with us today and just tell us a little bit about uh yourself give a background of you because it's pretty interesting we can't get probably too in depth on some stuff but you know maybe we can a little bit all right well i appreciate you guys for having me yeah i'm uh, justin rogers i am uh i live in uh, in mort mississippi i'm current right now i'm a school teacher uh i'm a coach and i own a company uh called old south lures we uh, make deer scent and trapping lures. Um, been doing that. I've been on the uh, with the public as far as uh, marketing scents and lures for about um, uh, ten years. And uh, but before that, I was in the medical field for about twenty years. Just kind of kind of got burned out on that, and uh, I had went back and finished my teaching degree. And uh, that's what I've been doing ever since then, and just stayed in the woods as much as possible. So. Now, now, what'd you do in the in the medical field, Justin? I was in radiology. I went to uh, I did uh, X-rays and CAT scans, MRIs, and whatever else the doctor needed me to do. I was kind of a kind of a kind of a gopher, kind of a catch-all guy. I worked in uh, some private clinics, with some private doctors, and I kind of did a little bit of nursing, just anything that they they needed done, I would do it. So, and I bet now, did you work in emergency rooms? Is that right? Yeah, so, I worked. At, I worked at, actually. I worked at the University Hospital in, in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, I worked there for uh, numerous years. I covered the emergency room, which the CT department was connected to it, and and it was uh, quite an interesting place on a Saturday night with a full moon. You, you, you would see a you would see a lot of interesting stuff coming through the door. I can promise you. I, I bet so, and I bet you know. You know, of course, you know, Shed and I love sports. I know you do, you know, and it's uh can be very stressful, a lot of pressure on you. And I'm sure that it's the same way there because you got to react. You know, you're there working, doing whatever you're doing, and things can change in a second. You got to be able to adjust, and I'm sure the pressure and stress over time wore, wore you down. It would almost have to, and that's what kind of precipitated uh, a career change for you. Is that right? It was, and I've got, uh, I've got two kids. Uh, my boy's 15, my daughter's 12, and uh, that was one thing. I, I love the working in the, in the medical field at night shift, especially because I'm a, well, I guess, an adrenaline rush. I'm mm-hmm. uh, kind of an adrenaline junkie. I would, I mean, it was, you know, I like seeing different stuff, and but I'm starting to miss a lot of stuff uh, with my kids. I either I could take off or I couldn't take off, plus my, my, uh, my side, my little side business was uh was getting real busy i also i do a lot of nuisance trapping for the county 
and for some farmers around here, and I don't get a lot of calls with that. And uh, I said, uh, me and my wife kind of looked at it, and we kind of looked at the money situation, and I've always wanted it. I, I was like, I think, six months finishing my teaching degree because I had changed my major in college. So my wife's like, why don't you, you know, go back and finish your teaching and coaching, and that's what you wanted to do to, to begin with. So that's what I did. I just up, and my wife said, I. Uh, at 40 year, at 30 years old, I had a midlife crisis and changed my whole routine. So, she um, I went back to school, finished that, and I started teaching and and, uh, and coaching. That's something I wish I would have done 20 years ago. So I get to and I get to um, take off, do stuff with, with my kids, and I've been off all week. I've been in the woods every day. You know, we're already making plans for Christmas. We're gonna spend me and Mitch are gonna spend every ounce we got in the woods come Christmas time. So. Outstanding. And what? How old were you when you when you started teaching? Uh, I was about thirty-eight when I started okay. teaching. Well, that's pretty. That's pretty impressive, and not much more than I guess an honorable profession, you know, to get to deal with young kids and mold them and shape them, and then you know have the down moments and see them succeed and see them get over the hump is a pretty good feeling because there's a lot of a lot of kids out there that that need that guidance and help and. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter where you're raised. It doesn't matter if you're raised by, you know, two parents that are the most upstanding folks or if a kid's, you know, homeless or by themselves or living with a grandparent or one parent or whatever the case may be. They all need some help and assistance and guidance, and you can make a big difference with them. And I, I know that's got to mean something to you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I swear, I was reading I went to the medical field. I've always, I mean, I just enjoy helping folks. I've always been one of those kind of people, you know, I've always just enjoyed doing stuff like that. And I got a kid, this, this was last year, year before last, kids from Guatemala. His parents actually shipped him up here by himself, made arrangements for him to live with somebody. And because they, they, and they're like, they own, like, own school in Guatemala, but it wasn't to the liking that they wanted. And uh, at graduation, he walked up to me and my wife, with his parents, and, uh, with uh, tickets to, they were going to fly us to Guatemala and to, to to their place. I'm like, what is, what's up with this? <laughs> he's like, he's like, you know, he said, I appreciate. He said, I didn't have any parents here, and you and Miss Rogers were like my parents here at school. And he said, I really appreciate everything you did. I said, well, I only taught you one year. He said, yeah, but you made you made where I didn't want to go back. So you know, that kind of made me feel kind of good. I mean, there's a kid. That, you know, I just met a year ago that his mom and dad were paying for me a, a all-expense-paid trip to Guatemala because I told him, I said, look, I'm going to get down there and get, you know, get hijacked or nothing. But no, 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 no. It's, 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 you know, it's a good, it's a good place. But I promise we, we're in a good spot. So. But, you know, just little stuff like that. You know, I didn't know this kid. I've never seen this kid. And, you know, I had him one year in class. He wanted to be, he wanted to be a doctor. So, you know, which I, you know, kind of had yeah, told him what, what, what path they needed to go down with my medical experience. And as far as I know right now, he's uh, he's still going to school. I hadn't talked to him in a while, but he's still going to school. That's the putting himself through school. He works two jobs, and he goes to school. So, I mean, the kid's got a lot of drive. So That's outstanding. Yeah, I mean, I've got some other, just other little stories like that. I mean, you, you've been there. Yeah. You know, the, the different stories and stuff like that. So. Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good feeling, you know, when you can when you can make a difference. A lot of times you think you don't, and you do, and sometimes you think you do, maybe you don't as much. You know, it takes 
takes all of us to hopefully somebody have an impact on on one of them. You know, from a discipline standpoint down in Morton, Mississippi, what what kind of disciplines the school use down in Morton? Oh, well, we, if you get bad enough, they'll still put that, what I call a board education on you. <laughs> we, uh, we've got a principal, we've got two principals. I mean, teachers, of course, we're not allowed to, to, to discipline. But if it gets bad enough to where you go to the principal's office, depending on the write-up, they'll give you, they'll give you a choice um, either, you know, in school suspension or a paddling. So, but I mean, we don't, as far as the discipline, we, we still do that, <clears throat> but we don't really have, we're a small, we're, we're a 3A school, we're right in the middle of Morton. I mean, we don't really have a lot of, I guess you would say, discipline. I mean, you know, kids being kids, mm-hmm. but as far as just bad, mean, you know, kids that, that, that call stuff, we really don't have that. We're lucky, man. We, we have in the past, of course, but right now we're, we really don't have a whole lot of problems with that. You know, we, shoot, probably my first 20, 18, 19 years, I guess, of my career, you know, paddling was used in the schools. As a principal, I, I used them. And if I if I didn't use the paddle, I mean, I was, I'd been considered weak. I mean, I'd have lost my job. The parents expected it. The uh-huh. district expected it. You know, I'd, I'd have, you know, kids, you know, come in begging rather than get suspended. They wanted to be in school and they understood that they had, you know, they would request, can I, can I get a paddle instead, you know, could, to do that? You know, I mean, and kids wanted discipline and, you know, you come up, where I'm at now, and to say what we're talking about, it sounds savage to people. You know, I grew up getting paddled in basketball practice, getting paddled at school, and you know, I never went home and complained about it. You know, I, did, I, I figured I'd get more trouble if I did. You know, but it didn't even cross my mind to complain about it. I knew that I shouldn't have been doing what I was doing. And that was the price to pay for it. You know, times have changed, and there's always uh, on everything exceptions to every rule, and somebody you know can cross the line as far as abuse and those kind of things go but you know we always gave the kids and parents an option shoot 99.9 percent of the time parents and the kids chose let's take care of it let's turn the page and let the kid move on and do what they can do you know and hopefully it, it won't become a you know with any discipline you want it to be something that's uh that ends and it doesn't matter how, what the don't matter what it takes to get to to the end it's just you don't want that behavior continuing you know do something different right. but, but quit this one <laughs> you know, so well, how'd you get in the old in the lure and scent business? Tell us about that. You want the long version or the short version? <laughs> Whichever one you go with. <laughs> well, I actually I started making my own uh, scents and lures when I was about ten years old. Um, I had uh, I got into trapping, and that's kind of where I started. I read, I had to do a book report for for school, and I read the book where the red fern grows. I'm sure. A lot of folks down south have seen that movie about a boy and his coon dog. I was really interested in the coon hunting. And I read that book for, for a book report for school. And I actually, the first coon that, you know, the movie doesn't show up, but that kid trapped. And I kind of got interested. I asked my dad about it. And because, like, you know, we're from a hunting family. I mean, we literally, my grandmother would schedule Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner around the deer hunt. You know, we didn't do anything until everybody was in from hunting that night. And uh, so, but nobody in my family trapped, but my dad had a pair of uh, old double long springs he had found in a great uncle's smokehouse whenever he had passed away hanging out of the shop. So we got them out. Dad showed me how to settle. Of course, I had no idea what I was doing. This was probably back in, this was back in um, probably about 88, 89. And at that point, we were just coming out of the fur boom. 
and not a whole lot of information was out there. Well, if there was, people really weren't, didn't want to give you, didn't want to tell you a whole lot because it was money. So I kind of learned all myself. I grabbed every book, whatever I could, I could find, and uh, just kind of started playing with it and kind of, you know, got to look, reading about the different sets and the scents and the baits and stuff. And I only had two traps and for Christmas. So I asked this, I want some more traps. I need some of this lure stuff too. And I mean, we were, I wouldn't say we were poor growing up, but I mean, I never did with that with my mom was a school teacher back in the 80s. So, you know, she teached school 36 years. So, you know, but they didn't make a whole lot of money back then. My dad was in business for himself as an insurance agent. And uh, money was being just bought, bought this farm that we were living on. Money was kind of tight. So, they said, well, you can have traps or you can have, you know, your scent. Which one do you want? I said, well, I can probably make my own scent. So, uh, I bought, he bought me some traps. And um, I got the, any information I could find. I started, I think I got a book or two. Met a couple of older guys around here where I live. There used to be some meat trappers here where I live at. I live kind of, we live way out in the country. And uh, not a whole lot of kids around here. I'm probably one of the only few kids that grew up in this neighborhood or in this area. But uh, a lot of older people, so I would just get on my phone and go to the house. I'd just show up at their house and I'd start talking to them. And uh, they kind of, a couple of older guys kind of directed me. But like I said, I, I started making my own stuff. Um, when I was about 10 years old, and uh, I can remember where I was at when I caught my first coon. I remember the first creek that I was on. Well, it was a big, a long set down in a creek where I smeared some of my homemade bait on, and I caught that coon, and it kind of lit a fire under me. So, I, you know, I did that all through high school. That's how I made my money in high school. I would, uh, you know, I'd run traps in the afternoon. I had a piece of an old coon dog with coon hunt half the night, and then I'd sell the hide and the meat. And that's how I made my spending money all through high school. I made, I made good money. And, uh, and uh, so I kind of did that. And that's how I'm still, you know, I, I had a little shop. I make all my kind of, you know, come up with my own concoctions and stuff. And then I went off to college. I kind of quit because of chasing stuff besides critters. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, once I, I say I went through college, once I got married, we moved back home uh, Dr. Shen one day and found my old traps again because we had a beaver had gotten in the creek and Dad wanted me to get that beaver out. So I started trapping on our place again and I said, well, I'm going to start, you know, I still found some of my old lures in a box that I had made. So I started, you know, playing with that again. And uh, of course, at this time, this was, you know, 2000 and uh, when year did I get married? This is around, around 2005, and uh, there's a lot more information out there as far as on baits and lures and how to make stuff, and there's a lot of magazines and folks have written articles. So I started buying books and DVDs and just reading and learning everything that I possibly could and uh, kind of went from there. And... Uh, I started making trapping lures, and I actually I kind of partnered up with a guy, and uh, we kind of, I guess, kind of started marketing it for, you know, on putting stuff on the market, and uh, kind of took off. It was, uh, at that time, it was called Deep South Lures, and we uh, did really good for a couple of years, and uh, then me and, the, uh, with me and this guy, we decided to uh, 
talk, break up a partnership, and I changed it to Old South Lures. And uh, in the loss of a whole different line of lures from that, all trapping stuff. And one day a guy called me, a customer of mine called me. He's like, you got anything for deer? I'm like, you know, what you talking about, like deer pee? He's like, yeah. I said, I said, well, no. I said, I don't have anything. I said, I can, I can probably whip you up something. I said, what you want? So me and him got to talking about that. And I said, well, this, you know, not that I had anything. And now there's free time on my hand, of course. I'm like, I got nothing else going on. Uh, I got about an hour free in a day. So let me, let me figure out how to make some deer scent. So I got to playing with that a little bit. I found out real quick. <clears throat> with deer scent, and it's into the trapping stuff too. But as far as the ingredients and stuff like that, you pay what you get for. I mean, you know, you get what I'm sorry, you get what you pay for. I bought some stuff that was kind of cheap, and it was cheap for a reason. And uh, I found out real quick that um, if, if you're gonna do anything, you know, you, if you're gonna do, invest time in, especially on this type of stuff, you get what you pay for. Because I bought some just some deer scent and some deer urine and stuff from some trapping companies and it, it was just, it was junk. And uh, I mean, it stunk, it smelled, I mean, it smelled like sewage. And I thought, right, I figured real quick, I said, you know, somebody, some old poor guy's out there buying this, and he's spending his hard-earned money on this, he's buying it, and it smells like we come right out of the sewage. I said, there's got to be a better way. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to figure this out, at least put something, you know, decent on the market for people to buy. So it took me about it took me about three years to get the uh, to get the deer the deer stuff like I really wanted. Now I even looked into starting my own deer farm um, and everything, and just of course and uh, talked to some people with the Department of Wildlife and some different deer farmers and stuff, and it just wasn't it wasn't going to be feasible. Uh, so I set out. To, Mississippi isn't real conducive to the deer farm. No, it's not. I I used to raise whitetail deer. Um, yeah, I got to looking at stuff and looking at collection facility, and it, it was just going to be a going to be way too much involved. Yeah. So uh, a buddy of mine that actually owns a game call company over in Alabama, we were talking one night, and I said, I got to find somebody I can trust that's got you know decent deer year. I said, I'm not wanting to take this, you know, like tank 69 you know put it in every wall bar across the country i said i'm not wanting it to be that big i want something kind of small so i said but i need a good product and he gave me a guy that is in pennsylvania and uh so i called him and i spent about an hour on the phone with him and uh we get we kind of uh we got set up and i started uh, i actually started purchasing uh, urine from him and um just kind of kind of went from there. I uh, I would I've probably thrown out more stuff in the pond behind my house than I, than I've ever used. You know, if it doesn't, I've mixed up stuff, and if it don't smell right, if it doesn't mix up right, I'm not going to use it either on on both sides of the lure business. But um, I got into trout. I got into I uh, figured out how to make uh, cover scents. Actually, there's a, a guy here in the town I live in that's been in the lure bins for 35 years. And uh, I a lot of these lure guys, they're not really quick to give you a lot of information, but they will talk to you. And if they talk to you, you better listen. But uh, I found that out on both sides. I go to these traffic conventions 
And if these dog guys would sit down and talk to you, and they, they, you may hear one thing in an hour conversation, you know, that would was worth the information. You better listen to them. Because they would tell you stuff, but you had to, I guess, you know, kind of, they would make you go through the learning process. And they would tell you stuff, you know, to kind of get you pointing in the right direction, but they would always leave it kind of an opening question for you to fill in the gap. <laughs> but, uh, that's why I, so I, I figured that out. Um, I talked to uh, this guy. He was, I sat out with him a good bit and go by a shop. He gave him little tidbits of information. And, you know, I kind of started from there. I uh, got a bunch of guys up to test stuff for me. I mean, I sent stuff all over the United States. And every every, every blue I've ever made has always been built. That's, that's one thing I love, love trail cameras. I run trail cameras year-round testing stuff. And I mean, whether it be, you know, Training or, or deer scent, one I'll, I'll run anytime I come with something new, I'll do trail camera tests on them. You know, and there's a certain reaction I'm looking for, whether it's a rolling or a digging or my ox scrapes with a, with, with a buck. You know, I do, I do run trail trail camera tests all summer. Like I said, then I'll, I've sent stuff all over the U.S. to, to try. So, look, you don't be honest with me. If it ain't worth nothing, tell me. If it's the best thing since sliced bread, Tell me, you know, just kind of, you know, kind kind of go from there, and that's just kind of how it's. I mean, the good Lord's been good to me. I've kind of fell into it. I've done some stuff that, you know, been able to do some stuff that I shouldn't have had as far as being successful, not knowing anything. But uh, you know, I've learned a lot, and I'm still learning. Anybody tells you they know everything about something, you better watch them. So <laughs> I definitely don't know. I mean, I'm still learning on some stuff. I'm still trying new stuff. I've had some stuff that really worked. I've had some stuff that I could hear deer blowing a mile away. So, I mean, that, that didn't work so well. So let's, <laughs> let's go back to the drawing board on that. So, um, but that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the background, kind of how I got started on this stuff. We all know, I mean, deer rely on that nose a great deal. I remember early on, probably a teenager, and drug a deer out one evening. That I, and I drug it a long, long way. I had to walk in a long way, drug it down through a, through a cut bean field to eventually get to my truck. But where I drug it on the ground, you know, of course, leaving all that scent, well, I mean, that was, I'm trying to think when that had been, end of October or somewhere. But the rest of the season, I mean, those deer just flocked to that where I had drug that deer out. In the middle of a, I don't know, two, 300 acre field, and they would, come to that and that's where they would walk out of there because that scent was there that, and you know you could see after I drug it kind of the indention of a body where I drug it down the field and from then on it was just littered with tracks and there was no drain or any land feature there to make them go through that way they just got that scent and then the rest of the year they just continued to, to follow that I listened to a lot of those crime shows and I think Shed does too on, on occasion but I was listening to to one of them talking about uh, there was a murder in a motel room and I believe it. Anyway, they go there. It's two or three days after the murder before they know the person was in the motel room. They get the motel room. It's been cleaned. And the only thing that the cops find is like a Coke can in the trash. And so they asked the person cleaning, you know, is that, you know, yeah, I, I did not take the trash out. So that would have been here. So they give that Coke can to the to a dog. And anyway, the dog gets whatever scents off that Coke can and takes them right to, and it's a true story, but takes them right to the person that did the killing. They were something in the woods like seven or eight miles away, whatever it was. And we all know deer's nose, as good as a dog is, deer's nose are a whole lot stronger. And so they, they rely on that, uh, rely on their nose, which is another thing I think we, you know, talking about cover scent and, and such, 
Uh, a lot of times you think you make it into your stand, out of your stand undetected, but that scent, if, if, if it can stay on a Coke can for four or five days for a dog to still trail a person, that deer can still find you at one in the morning, two in the morning, the next day, you know, when, when you're there. So, and then you can't get rid of uh, scent completely, but what do you do just to, and I'll, I'll back up too and tell you on your scent as far as field testing. You know, I used your, uh, the real scrape scent and I, I've got a, got a ridge. Man, it's, it's hard to, to get to without just wearing yourself out because it's a real high, steep ridge. But I, there was a there's an oak tree there with no wasn't no limb on. I screwed a limb into this to the tree, tied it around the tree too. Put your scent, made a little scrape mock scrape underneath it, and them suckers are wearing it out. I got pictures last night of two bucks coming in just wearing that, you know, getting all in that scrape, all their head in the licking branch, and then just pulling that sucker out and peeing on their hocks. And that was in, that's in northern Missouri. I did nothing over in Illinois, and they're doing the same thing uh, with it over there. I didn't have to screw a, a limb onto a tree to, for that one. But anyway, it's worked really, really well and, and getting good pictures of that. But what do you do cover scent-wise as far as getting into your stands, getting out of your stand? What have you developed or what do you try to use? Uh, I mean, I, uh, of course, I try to stay as clean as I possibly can, um, you know, as far as scent. But, I mean... Of course, you know, I've, and I found that out too in trapping. There's no way to stay 100% scent free. I mean, I do stop try to, you know, use my, you know, gloves, stuff like that. But, you know, beef, people constantly have hair falling off, you know, dead skin cells and stuff like that. And they get left around a trap site. It's usually a couple of days before a, a trap site, will, you know, may get work. But, I, you know, I've kind of found out there's no way to be, I don't care what you see out there, there's no way to be 100%. Now, I do, you know, I take a shower, I use all the, you know, the stuff that's out there. But I do, I do, of course, you know, I make it so I've got tons of it in my shed. I do rely on cover scent very heavy just because, like, even if I'm putting up a mock scrape or if I'm going to put up a trail camera, I'll spray it down or something just because, I mean, if I touch my bare hands, the oil and stuff off of my skin gets on that camera, you know, and like I'll lick him, I'll, I'll spray all that down. But, you know, when I get out of the truck, you know, I use a lot of earth cover scent. I just like fresh earth. I like that woodsy smell. Um, you know, I'll, I'll spray my feet, my legs, and everything down with fresh earth. I'm a big, you know, believer in that. And then I said, no, I'll, once I get to my stand, I'll spray whether, whatever, I'll spray my backpacks and stuff like that down. I spray the stand down. I spray on the tree around me. I may even spray around my stand um, just with, with cover scent. And, I, you know, with I use a lot of earth cover scent, uh, white oak acre. And it's that time of year. Our acre and our white oaks are just now starting to drop. We don't, our white oaks don't drop until late um, October. You know, early November, so our, our white oaks are just now starting to drop. And I'll use that as a cover scent, plus I'll spray it on trees around my stand just to put that smell on the wind currents, uh, that white oak smell on wind currents. And I've also, I've got, I've got some cover scent that's called, uh, uh, from a moment, like, uh, I don't know if you remember that years ago, there was a cover scent came out called Essence of Fall. Y'all remember that or not? But I, um, it was made out of plants, out of plant extracts. Well, I've got, I found, it took me a while, but I, um, figured that out. I've got one called Hard, yeah, Hardwood Ridge. That it's made out of white oak acre and, and plant extracts. And it smells just like, 
like an essence of fog did years ago smells like the woods and like i said i'll spray you know if i'm filling up a, up a, a protein feeder i'll spray my hands down before i touch it obviously not spray down with on cameras just anything because like i'm hunting a buck right now i've been hunting this buck for four years and i pulled cameras yesterday and i got pictures of him yesterday and i mean he's starting to go down but i want to kill him and he's he's slick i mean he's an old public well, he lives on, on some national forest he goes from national forest to private he's seen and heard everything so i mean so when i even go on to check trail cameras i i spray myself down and i try i don't go in there until around 12 o'clock every day you know midday i'll slip in there and try to be sent free just because i don't want i don't want him to to know i'm in there i want to get him i want this is, this is his year hopefully but um i just try to like to, i don't make a a i guess you said like a scent neutralizer or anything i just make this some cover scents but um but i and i, I just i rely heavily on us and once i get in the tree i'm gonna spray my only thing i don't spray down is my gun because i don't want to get the stuff you know just on my, on my scope or anything but I'll spray down the metal, the stand, and I, everything once I get in there too. So, have you noticed anything, Justin, with your cameras? Have you have you noticed any of the more mature bucks that don't like your cameras? Have you been able to see anything that where the cameras are affecting them to change their routine or pattern at all? Now, I, I've got one. I pulled a uh, camera yesterday on this big dude. I got him on camera, and it was about two well a week and a half ago. It's next to an old pond in the woods, and I got on a three-shot burst, and he saw it, and that he saw that camp. I mean, he's standing there, he's looking at it. He was he was walking to it. He was walking to it. It was about one o'clock in the morning. He was walking to it, and uh, I mean, he was stopped. He had those ears up. He he was looking dead at that camera, and I didn't get any pictures for about a week. But then let's see the twenty. 21st, he was in there, the 21st at 8 o'clock at night. He walked in front of it, but he walked kind of across ways. I had three shots of him then. He never looked at it. I did, and I've got over here on my farm, I've got in a big food plot, which they, I guess he's got, they've gotten used to it. Um, I put a new cell camera out over here, and I, there were several, several, bucks that were looking at that camera when it first got put up i got on, on a t-post out on the edge of a, of a power line so it does kind of stick out but i i i honestly do believe those deer see that you know that ir flash that red flash i do believe they pick up on that now once they get used to it i don't think it bothers them as bad because i've had this camera over here for two months and now these deer come in here and don't even look at the camera yeah. i guess they're kind of they're kind of used to it but I said that old deer that I've been hunting, he saw that camera. I know he did. He was looking at it because he had them ears forward and he was staring that camera down. So and I, I talked to some guys, you know, put them a little bit higher and angle them down with a stick and, you know, such as that. But, and I've tried to black out cameras. So, but um, I think those deer are just so wary. Anything out of the ordinary, I mean, White tails, they're actually, they're, they're real curious. They're probably easier to lure than a, than a coyote is. A coyote's are smart. And a white tail is probably easier to, to attract the scent. It's because they're curious. I mean, white tail deer are very, very curious. And, um, but at the same time, 
he don't get to be eight years old living in national park by being dumb. <laughs> so I mean, he's they know when something's out of place, you know, in their in their spot. So yeah, they do. I truly believe that. Now, Shed, you mentioned your deer farm there. What what was you doing with yours? Were you considering getting into scent business or just? No, I was growing them and then so, selling them to shooting preserves. But at the time I had them there, it was $25 license to have them in Ohio. And then, I mean, you can, for 25 bucks, you could have anything you want. I mean, you've seen the, you know, the Tiger King video, you know, the Terry Thompson, the guy that had the lines and all that that got out. That was three miles from my parents' house. I knew Terry. I knew all those guys in that video because I dealt in that market and my dad was a veterinarian. So a lot of those, that stuff that went on there, you know, we neither knew the folks or, you know, it was right there by the house. But I was getting, you know, when I went to work at Moss Yoke, I got rid of everything. And uh, except for a couple of does I had that were tame. And then when I moved to Mississippi, I thought, well, I'll just put a high fence up down here and start doing the same thing. And rules are completely different in Mississippi. They won't let you do anything for the most part. Just regulations on you, requirements. Yeah, you, you can't even train. You can't if you own if you own deer in Alabama, and you want to take them to Louisiana to a guy's place, you ain't even allowed to drive through the state with them. Uh, At least that used to be the law. Probably yeah. still is. I don't know on the on the, the collecting their deer pee and that what their regulations in Mississippi were, but I'm sure now with all this uh, was it CWD regulations stuff, they probably got stronger on that. I had just I've been out of it for twenty years, so the CWD has really put a a big wrinkle in things as well with the scent business. I mean it's, that's a whole nother issue and I, that I've had to fight. Um whenever whenever all this came out, I mean I've I had to go through uh I was actually in Arkansas. I mean I would I would purposely at one time make our our uh, family vacations, I would would route myself through towns, maybe where I had a a, a store or a vendor, <laughs> so that I could you know I could swing I could swing through, you know, and touch base with them and, and you know kind of talk to them. When I was in Arkansas, I think it was my wife. So my wife was finishing her master's. She was she was graduating her master's program at Arkansas State. And there was just happened to be a big hunting store right across the road from our hotel. So I told him, I said, I'll be back in a little bit. And I went over there and talked to the guy for a while. And this was just after, just after all this CWD legislation was starting to come out. And you know, Arkansas put a ban on any kind of a uh, on any kind of a, of a deer of a natural, you know, deer scent, whether it was a urine or interdigital or you know whatever arkansas put a ban on it 100 percent and that of course then it kind of blew up with the other states started doing it so uh, what i had to do is i actually went through the process of getting uh certified and uh, i went through the archer trade association had a program going on and i went through that program cost a little bit of money but I got uh, I had to prove where my urine came from actually and I actually found a a, uh, a guy another guy that I, I, I buy from that he sells for uh, a lot of other companies you'd be surprised and I found this out because you know I'm not scared to ask anybody any information if I'm gonna buy 
if I'm gonna deal business with you, I'm gonna ask you questions. I got the I got turned on to another company that preserved or they had their the collection process was a little bit different. And I started talking to this guy. There's a lot of big scent companies out there that advertise, you know, one deer or our farm and stuff, but they're not raising a deer. I found that he kind of slipped up and told me a couple of names of people that were, you know, buying from him. And it's it's um, a little bit different of a of a game what you think. There's a lot of big companies out there that are buying from these these private farms that they're not raising their own deer. But anyway, I get get back on subject. I found this guy, I like his collection process because whenever I get urine from him, I mean it's just as yellow as it can possibly be. I mean it's fresh. And he was uh he has two deer farms, and because in the main, they're like eight miles, ten miles apart. That way, if CWD were to happen to get in one farm, he can still operate with the other ones. And he, they are. He's APA certified, and they have they have uh, veterinarians come in every month. They test every single deer, just do a health assessment on them and everything. So I started, you know. We, we started getting from him because I had to get everything that goes in my bottle has to be from an ATA approved facility or I can't put that logo on there. So um, if you look at some of my stuff, which then ATA has not doing that program anymore, of course. I spent all this money, completely changed all my labels and uh, you know, got certified and they did it for about two years and then they decided to quit. So. We, of course, I, we got a letter, you know, that they said, go on and use what labels you have and everything for the next year. So there's another one, a deer protection program out of Colorado that I, I'm, I'm working with. They've kind of picked up where the ATA took off because a lot of these states down south, whenever the ATA started this program, if you were ATA approved, then people could use your stuff. If you weren't ATA approved and somebody got caught with a bottle of your urine from a game warden technically the game warden could write them a ticket so you know I, and i didn't want i didn't want that to happen and you know i still wanted my business to go so that's the reason i spent the money but i actually had a couple of stores that i done business with that when cwd hit and the cwd rulings i mean i even i i talked to the legislators i talked to different representatives i spent a lot of time in it trying to trying to get Mississippi not like Arkansas because um, you know, doing the I contacted people that had the research and to get them in touch with the folks with the gaming fish down here to try to get Mississippi so we weren't banned, you know, because I enjoy using it, but I mean I was that's that's my business. And uh which of course, you know, the way the the law reads now down here that you could use urine as long as it's an ATA proved urine. Uh, if not then uh, technically, if, if a game board were to search your hunting pack and found a bottle that wasn't an ATA-approved, you know, source, they could write you a ticket from that. So, so the CWDs kind of put a whole kink in the in, a, in the scent business as well. So, you know, Justin, you mentioned interdigital gland scent. You know, gland between the the hooves, and that's that's a scent that really I don't know if it's forgotten. A lot of people probably don't know about it. You don't hear a lot about it. But I, I had a lot of success with that. Again, going back to that same farm where I drug the deer. You know, when I'd walk in my stand, I'd put that on my boots in the morning. It's like an old bird dog. I've had many of them, mainly does and small bucks, just 
as they were traveling, picked up that scent and followed it all the way to my tree. Do uh-huh. you do anything with interdigital? Do you? Why is it not? Uh, I mean, probably of all the scents I've used over the years, and I haven't used it in the, probably in the last ten or fifteen years because it's just hard to find. But I probably have more success with that than anything. It uh yeah, inter- there, actually that scrape scent, real scrape you got, it's got interdigital in it. That that scrape scent, it's a blend of you know you know buck buck <clears throat> urine, parcel, and um I've got. I've got buck interdigital in in that in that as well, and then on my um on one of my doe scents, I think it's the uh, the Southern Fire. It's got doe interdigital in it. One thing with interdigital, it's hard to collect. I mean, it's hard to get because I mean you literally have to. I mean, you could swab a live deer all day, but it would just take a lot. A lot of people that do with interdigital, they're getting it from pulls from game processing facilities and that's how they're getting it it's just it's a hard it's a hard lure to deal with that's why you don't see it a whole lot but it's kind of it's like you know, I mean, it's that's how deer track each other i mean you, you know yeah. they it's a scent it's a natural scent that's put out it's like with uh i'll tell you I'll tell you one of my uh my bobcat gland lure that i use a lot of folks just use the anal glands on them i cut every gland that a cat has. Now, I, I actually, I was a fur buyer at one time and I was buying carcasses and stuff. And you see an old house cat walks up to you, what does he do? He rubs his face on you. What he's doing, he's putting his scent. He's marking you with his scent. So I took that and I started collecting every gland and even the foot pads that by, off, off of uh, dead bobcats or bobcats had been trapped or had bought from people. And I started making, I, I mean, I would, you know, kind of ride them down. And I started making a gland lure out of that because I wanted that bobcat body smell because it kind of takes away, yes, kind of makes it kind of more at ease. And the same thing with deer. I mean, that's just an interdigital, a natural deer smell. It's uh, like a pre-orbital. I make a, pre, I make a pre-orbital. I actually, I don't make it. I have a guy that uh makes it for me and i just you know because he has he has more the means to do it and i i get that actually that's one of the few lures i don't make that i do get the pre-orbital from somebody else but not as rebottle it but you know it doesn't you can take a bite that's another thing with mock scrapes i started doing was using pre-orbital on the licking branches just because you see you know that saliva Deer chew on those licking branches. They're rather you know, around their eyes. I mean, that's that's his scent. He's putting that out there. So those other deer that come through there know, you know, that's that's old Jim Bob the acorn over there. You know, he may he may just scrape. So you know, let's either piss him off and try to take his women, or you know, let's let's you know, let's keep on going. So you know, just can you tell us on uh, mock scrapes, kind of how you set one up, what your tactics to to use doing that. Yeah, I actually, I made one, and, and sometimes it's kind of, I think it has a lot of this location. You talk about putting yours on a, on a ridge the other day. Uh, me and my boy just got back from a uh, <clears throat> from a four-day hunt over the Mississippi Delta. And we actually, we were on some, some uh, public ground over a hunt, and we took a couple of days. We got his little cabin, and me and him just took off. And I, leave, I left my gun here at the house. I didn't take, I didn't take a gun. And uh, I went in there about two weeks ago on this one location. And I killed some deer there. You know, killed some really good deer there before. 
and uh, it's no logging road in the middle of a palmetto swamp. And I need those deer, which they get in those palmettos and lay up, but they'll walk that logging road. So I went in there about two weeks ago and actually hung him a stand. And I made a mock scrape in the middle of that road. I found a good overhanging licking branch that was about chest high, you know, and I, you know, I cleared all the leaves and stuff, made a scrape up under it. And I didn't have my scrapes in. We didn't have my, just a bucking rut, which is buck urine and tarsal glands. So I just, you know, I saturated that scrape with that, uh, with, with that scent and, you know, just squirted a little bit on the limb. I went 20 yards, 30 yards down that down that trail, and actually got off of the trail a little bit, and I'm and I, I made another one next to a piece of an old palmetto, and it just had a little piece of an old palmetto stem sticking up. Did the same exact setup, used the same exact scent, but that did not have that licking branch like the other one did, and it was off of that deer travel route. We went back in there Saturday morning. The mock scrape that I had made in the road with the good licking branch, it was tore slap up. I wish I had a camera I could have put on it. The scrape that was 30 yards away from it was full of leaves. It had not been touched. And I firmly believe that it was because, you know, there was no licking branch for that buck to chew on and rub his horns on. Plus, it was off of his travel route. It was just a little bit. It was, you know, those deer were walking that road, and every deer, I guess, that came down that road, you could see what you could see chew marks on that licking branch. Like I said, and you could see deer tracks in that mark straight. But they stayed on that road. They did not get off of the uh, the road and go hit that other one. So I mean, like if I make one around my farm. My farm's an old big grown-up cow pasture now, and uh, those bucks will hit those edges of those fields. They'll walk those field edges making scrapes. So, you know, I'll put mock scrapes out there. If I, you know, I think about it, I try to, half the time, whenever I leave the house, I'm blowing and going, trying to get away because I don't forgot something. I forget it. But I'll put a couple of drops. I'll take an energy, that uh, pre-orbital. Now, I just do like two drops on licking breath. don't take much. You put too much, it kind of spooks them. I'll put like one or two drops on a licking branch, and then I'll use, you know, either, I honestly, I use more buck urine than I do doe urine. Even, uh, I just, I like that smell, especially this time of year when they're rutting. Um, deer seem to react to me to, I guess it's a, it's a different deer in their area. I put doe urine in scrapes and never had anything touch it. I put dominant buck urine, and it, come back and there's leaves 15 you know dirt 15 feet behind that scrape where they just they tore it up so to me just in, in my personal i'll use a lot more buck urine than i do dough. now i will hang you know dough and heat around my stand on little scent bombs and stuff like that but if i'm gonna make a mock scrape i'm either gonna do buck urine or i'm gonna do you know like, like a a scrape scent where it's got buck and doe mix, but again, it's got that buck. I think that tarsal with that buck urine is really kind of gets under skin a little bit. But I think location, it's like traffic location is a big thing. A ridge top, a road, a field edge. You just walk out in the woods and just put one type parallel out in the woods, and there's, there's no, you know, there's no reason for a deer to walk by, by that beech tree, you know, 40 yards from your stand. It's, it's not going to do anything. It has to be somewhere where they're wanting to go or where they're, they're at, I think. Is there a particular tree that you like best 
Now down here, where I'm at, if uh, I went, I I found several scrapes yesterday. They like beech trees. If it's a uh, these beech trees around here, which they've got a lot of overhanging limbs about head high, the deer around here, if you can find a beech tree or you find a cedar tree, you better look up on it because more than likely there's gonna be a uh, there's gonna be a scrape somewhere around there. Um, as far as, as making a mock scrape, I've never seen a difference in them. Uh, like I said, if I can find a beech tree or a cedar tree where I'm gonna, you know, where I'm gonna make a mock scrape, I'll I'll do that. But if I miss on like a four wheel logging road or something, I'll just you know, as long as that limb's in the right place, there again, I don't know if that beech tree is because the limbs are usually about head high on the deer. And they're everywhere around here. They grow real good on side of like you know little openings. But um, the beaches, beech trees around here around because I live in a big swamp was, was where I'm at, and those deer have a tendency to go to those beech trees and make scrapes versus you know a white oak or you know a pine or something like that. So, how high do you like that that limb to be? I don't know, about on me about chest high. I mean, I'm I'm five eleven. Used to be six foot, and I shrunk a little bit, I think. <laughs> but but um, yeah, about about you know about chest high on me is is good because that's that's gonna be just high enough for him to to um reach his head up and you know hit it with his horns, rub his face on it, you know bite it bite the tips of the limbs off and stuff like that. Now I did have a picture last year. In a place over in the swamp in front of my house, I made a mock scrape over there, and the licking branch was really too high. It was about it was about head high on me, but I had pictures of two different young bucks actually standing on their back legs, standing up, you know, grabbing that licking branch. So, um, but me, if I if I had you know a choice, I wanted about about chest level on me but i mean they will also i feel they had i had two bucks on their they, they were standing up on their on their back legs with their head you know up on that licking branch because it's a little bit too tall for them so now on your licking branch if you've got leaves on the end do you try to take those off and just have an exposed limb on the end or do you let them do that i let them do that because you normally you know expect you know this time of year most of the leaves are starting to fall anyway um so I really don't. And, I, and again, I don't want to touch unless I've got some rubber gloves. I don't want to reach up and touch those leaves and pull them off. Because when I do, well, I just put my scent on that leaf. Unless I'm going to stick it in my pocket and take it away. <laughs> you know, I'm not. That's just the last time I'm there, to me, you know, the better. You know, I wear rubber boots. If I come by water in a, a creek or something, I'm going to step in that water and kind of wash my boots off. Then I'm going to spray them down with earth scent anyway. And um, I have seen some guys use grab a stick, you know, and make the mock scrape with a stick. Well, then again, if you, you got on gloves, you just put your hands on that stick. So I just take my boot and I just, you know, I just rake it a couple times with my, with my boot. And then, you know, I don't touch the limb or anything with my bare hands. I'll just squirt the scent on it with, with, with that. That way, you know, try to get in there and get out quick as I can. So if I'm going to put a camera on it, now, there's one tree I need to go put a camera. I ain't done yet this year. Right here behind my house in the National Forest. That uh, 
it's a beech tree and it's gonna have i was hunting a big deer back there a couple of years ago and it, it, and it was his scrape line that tree will have anywhere from four to six scrapes under every year they'll just they just go around in a circle around that tree so i'll go put a, i'll put a camera on it and uh every year and i'll put you know I'll just add my scent to those scrapes. I don't make a mock another scrape there because there's going to be at least four to six scrapes under that. So I'll just put um, I'll put those. I'll just squirt scent in that, you know, and and go about my way. So, uh, Justin, what do you think is the biggest mistake people make using scent or trying to? I think using it the wrong time of the year. You're not. You don't want. Especially in Mississippi. Now, if you're up way up north in October, like I used to have a plot, I, I used to have 1,200 acres in Kansas, and uh, that a buddy of mine owned, and I'd go up there and hunt with him in October. Well, you know, the deer in October are rutting up there. The deer down here, I mean, they're still in their summer feed patterns. I wouldn't use a doe and heat scent in October in Mississippi, but I could. I would use it in October in Kansas, you know, just because it's out of place. Now you you will get some curiosity out of that, um, from you know from that from that scent, but I think people using it at the wrong time, using doe scent too early. Now that that's just me. I mean that's just my opinion. I make a scent called All Seasons, which in essence you can use it year round. It's and um, it's more curiosity scent. But I think using it in the wrong like using it way too early. Of course now once a buck's horns. Once a buck sheds his velvet, in essence, those hormones, he's ready to breed anyway. He can breed at any time. So he may be, especially in young bucks, it may be on their mind. But an old buck, I think uh, using a doe heat scent Mississippi in September, 1st of October, on an old buck, I think it may, may throw up a red flag. And using enough scent, I know, you know, scents, especially, I looked at some at Walmart the other day, some scents kind of getting, of course, everything, price, everything's going up. Now, I think a lot of folks try to use it too sparingly. You know, you need to put out enough to make it smell. You add two drops of dough urine to a scrape, I mean, there ain't a whole lot of smell there. You know, you need to put, I think you need to put enough down within the bit, because, I mean, we've all seen, you know, deer urinate in the woods. I mean, they don't put out three or four drops and move on. I mean, when they when they pee, they pee. You know, you know I think you know, a lot of folks, they try to, they like, well, this this stuff ain't no good. I, I had a deer walk right by. Well, they may not be down. They may not be able to spell it. And I'll be on again. I make it, but it doesn't work all the time. I mean, since they're not a hundred percent, I'll be the first person to tell you they don't work a hundred percent of the time. But I'm looking for that one time out of fifty when that buck comes through and he sends that and he and he smells that and he comes to my tree. That's what I'm looking for, you know. That's, you know, it, nothing's 100%, you know, all the time. But, you know, at certain times of the year, so it's just like running, grunting and, and rattling. I've never rattled up a buck here on my, on my, on my, around my place. Our buck-to-dough ratio is not what it's supposed to be. You know, like the Kansas, you rattle them up all day long in certain places. And I think the scent is kind of like, like calling it, it, you know, it works better in certain areas in certain times of the year, you know, and maybe even certain days of the year it works better. So you just got to be out there doing it. So, and you, and you mentioned earlier too much, so you can put too much scent out as well, I would think, right? 
Yeah, I think if you were to, I mean, yeah, I think if you put too much, it's kind of a fine, and I say too much, I'm talking about, well, you put out four or five different bottles of stuff like that. When I, like, if I make a market straight, my bottles, my bottles are an ounce and a quarter, is what they are. When I make a market straight, I'll put about a half a, about a half an ounce out in a scrape. Or, you know, if I'm going to do, if I'm going to go hang out some scent bombs, one bottle of dough urine may make four or five scent bombs for me. You know, with the little licks in there, and I'll do, I'll coat those, no coat those down. You know, I'll I'll put them up. I don't. I've gotten away from putting scent on just the bare dirt or the trees and stuff because you can. Re, I do believe you can reuse a lot of folks. But they say use it one time and it's done. Not necessary. That's why I'll buy those scent bombs and stuff. I'll you know, you know I'll saturate them down with scent. I may use them for a month before I fresh them up, as long as I can still smell that stuff. Now, I will say, at the end of the year, I throw them away, or I'll throw the wicks away and wash the bottles out, because urine will break down. Urine's going to continue to break down. Not saying that urine from last year is not as effective, not effective but I, you can take a bottle of urine, even I mean, my own stuff, take a bottle of urine from that I, that I, I put up last year that I didn't sell, Versus a bottle of urine that I just made last week, and you can smell a difference. I mean, you can deer urine breaks down different than say coyote urine or fox urine. I've got five gallon buckets of coyote urine out here in my shed. Um, you know, don't don't ever open a bucket in, in, around my house because it might it may make you it may make you gag. But um, I've got gallons of, of coyote urine out here that I bought. And you pop the lid off, and it smells. You get you'll get hit with an, an ammonia smell, but that ammonia burns off real quick. But you know, and you'll get just that strong coyote smell. I mean, I've got a gallon out there that's probably five or six years old. That I tell how many coyotes I've caught off that thing. But you use deer. You I get a, you get a gallon of deer scent. You bought a deer scent five or six years old. It's gonna smell like sewage. It just deer scent breaks down quicker. Or breaks down different than what most other scents do. Shed, your boys two games away from the state championship. You reckon a team might respond a little better with just a little sip of cow urine before the game? That might get them. <laughs> well, they, you know, make them make them smell it. Like, that's what right. they do before. Uh, get you fired up with it. Who needs a paddle when you, you got cow up, urine? You know, lift weights. <laughs> You know, what, do you, what do you have for that uh, really works well on coons? You know, down here, a lot of these guys use those tube traps. Yeah. And, you know, most of them, like, you know, probably like me too, are lazy, and we just stick them around feeders. But still half the time you're not, you know, unless there's something in it where, where they ain't that hungry, they ain't sticking their hand in there if it's laying on the ground. What I on that, of course, I do make a you know coon bait and coon lure. I make a pelletized coon bait. This guy, it's a it's a fish, it's a fish protein fish. It's a like a fish food based type bait, but um, you know, I add a, different flavors and stuff to it, and some marshmallows and little corn for eye appeal. But like on those on those dog proof traps, and that they work. Get back, it's it's this time of year type thing too. 
on a dog proof trap, what I usually do is sometimes I put a big marshmallow in it in front of that trigger. Sometimes I don't. It's just saying do. You know, Duke's from West Point. Uh, I use a lot of Duke traps. I'm real good friends with, with, with Bill Duke. They're right here uh, in our town. Yeah. Yeah, I thank the world of the Dukes. They've been really good to, to me and my traffic association. Like that Duke dog proof, it's a pull trigger. you got to pull it up to make it work. I'll put a marshmallow up under it. I'll take a little bit of that off. Uh, of that uh, pelletized coons uh, bait. I mean, I won't. I, I don't. I don't fill it up like my boy told me one day. So we ain't trying to feed them, Dad. We're trying to catch them. Like, okay. <laughs> Thanks for setting me straight there. You know, for a twelve-year-old. You know, I'll put just a little bit just to kind of cover that trigger, and then I'll use either like a fish oil or I make a paste type. You know, raccoon uh, coon lure that you can smear around the top of that of that. Uh, well, that thing um, that's not better tasting. Uh, I have, t- I actually have tasted some of my own lures. I ain't tasting none of the gland lures, but I had a boy <laughs> try this. How you know that? How you know that lure don't taste bitter to that king? I stuck my finger in, it and I tasted it. I said it ain't bitter. So, um, uh, I mean, you just you gotta do what you gotta do. But I found if your coon ever gets a hold of anything bitter, like shellfish oil, shellfish oil is a synthetic oil. If you put shellfish oil straightening a dog cartoon trap you're not going to catch them because that stuff is bitter and you can add it to a lure and it cuts that bitterness and it adds that smell but it's it's, it's, it's they've got to have that but anyway getting back to that you know i'll put those around deer feeders uh around you know the edge of bank creek banks any place i see a coon trail now i did stop trapping directly on deer feeders because you'll if you'll if you'll trap right there on that deer feeder you'll notice You'll catch four or five coons, and then boom, it quits. Yeah, you know, they see four or five of their buddies struggling around in that. It seems to kind of shut off there, and you can, you know, stop trapping and come back. So what I started doing, because another old trapper kind of turned me on to this, is, well, I know, we got so many coons down here, you can see a coon trail or something, a muddy trail going to it. I'll back off of that feeder, you know, 20, 25 yards, and I'll set straps around that feeder off of it like that. And either, either you know, put them on a tree, tie, loop them to a tree, or either put them on a, on a drag so the coon can actually go off of it a little bit. And I started trapping like that, and it it kept, and my catch rate seemed to stay better, you know, because they're not concentrated around that feeder, and they're not seeing, their, you know, other coons struggling around that feeder with this thing on their foot, and, you know, they kind of associate. I mean, I know coons aren't that smart, but they did seem that my catch would, would, would drop off some, so I started backing off and doing it, and my catch rate stayed up. Now, I would tell you, in February, when they're starting to rut, they are really hard to catch in those dog-proof traps. I mean, them old bull coons are rutting, they got one thing on their mind, and they will walk They'll walk right past the DP trap. And I started using some coon gland lure around my DPs, at least just to kind of make them stop. And I've, I've even put, you know, golf balls on the top of it and had that white eye peel. I put a marshmallow on top and had that white eye peel. But my catch rate does fall out in February just because on the males because they're rutting. That's when I kind of, I'll go back to my foot traps around the creeks and stuff, making blind sets where I just think a coon's going to step. But after they, the, our trapping season goes on into March, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, you know, I'm a big believer in trapping because I'm a turkey hunter at heart, and I've seen it 
I've seen trapping have a big effect on turkey populations in, in certain spots. So I'll trap all the way up to turkey season. You know, nest predator trap all up to turkey season because once they, once they stop rutting, they get back in that feeding pattern, then they'll start hitting them feeders and stuff again. They'll start catching them in those dog-proof traps again real good. So, I mean, you can use anything. I know boys that use cat food, you know, and uh, syrup or ice cream toppings or, you know, anything like that. Yeah. I mean, we don't hit it hard. We catch 50 or 60 a year. Just mess with them January, February, March. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it, you know, usually once you wipe out the, the dummies, you know, and then you sit there and you want to see them on the camera. You're like, oh, that's something yeah. the gun. They get smart or, you know, there's too much food on the ground, but, you know, move, right. off, them. move off those, uh, feeders get on their trails you have you get a lot more luck but i just yeah, really I have the, the 99 percent effective scent <laughs> it bring them in not be yeah i said i you know i i use it because i got it but like you know i said i'll i'll use that that pelletized stuff because it's it's got a smoky smell like it gets out, out there on the air currents but you know that the i make a paste bait for coon it's just got a lot of I will say earlier in the year, if you're trapping earlier in the year, coons like the, the berries because you got musky dimes and you've got berries and stuff that, that are naturally wild that are produced in the fall. You'll catch a lot more using like a berry scent towards the end, the end of the year. I'm going to go more of like a fish, crawfish, you know, something like a meat type stuff because the berries are gone and they've got contrast, they're, con- and they're concentrating more on grubs and crawfish and shatters and you know you know stuff like that i'll use my, more of a, that kind of like a fishy bait later on in the year so and that's usually whenever i'm you know in, in march when i'm really trying to trap hard for turkey season that's kind of what i'll do is you know the fish holes the crawfish oils you know stuff like that the, the cat food the food based stuff like yeah i'll get away from the berry stuff so justin with with your deer sense, do you, when the rut is on and you're in the peak cover, do you worry about sense at that point? I mean, do they even have any interest in that uh, during that time, or do you shut it down, or do you still go ahead and do what you can? I, I still do, but just because, uh, like, I went to Kentucky, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't use a lot of scent when I was up there because I was, where, the, where my stand is on this farm, it's a big, it's a big, uh, so pasture that's you know, growed up. So, I mean, I'm mostly hunting lanes up there. Excuse me. And uh, the guy that I hunt with, he drives you right. I mean, it's, it's, he likes to drive you right to the stands. He makes sure you get up in a stand. So I don't, I don't get out, put a lot of sin out. But like, and, and they were these deer were they were chasing. I mean, we the those of us that saw deer, um, we saw deer chasing bucks all day long. I don't think it is as effective when they're locked down with a doe, but I still get I still use it because as soon as he breeds that doe and he's not locked down with her, he's looking for another doe. And if he happens to come across, you know, my scent trail, or he happens to come by, you know, he, he may you've seen them like when, when the scrapes in the woods kind of die off, and then all of a sudden, boom, the scrapes have been cleaned out. Well, he's he's done probably bred at hot dough. Now he's looking for another dough. He's up looking. So 
I'll still use my sense and stuff at all time just in case, you know, today may be the day he walks by and he's looking for a hot dough and he, boom, he turns and comes straight in my stand. So, you know, I use it year round. I mean, I use it the whole season, whether as far as the rudder went, I don't, I don't really, me personally, I don't, I don't pay attention to a lot of that. You know, when you were in Kentucky, were you there kind of during, what days were you there? Were you there kind of the peak of the rut, that 14th through the 16th or so? Of, yeah, we got there the opening day of rifle season, which was what? 12th? 13th? Yeah. 12th, 13th? Yeah. Yeah. We got there the opening day of rifle season, well, the day before. And the place we hunted this year, my, I got a buddy of mine that's got uh, close to 300 acres up there, right outside of Bowling Green. That means that's all they do is they, they've got it for deer hunting. That's it. I mean, it's it's set up to deer hunt, and uh, but they have they had a horrible acorn crop this year. And I said, stand I hunt is next to a little a little acorn field draw, and those deer get out of that CRP. They go to those acorns, or they they're coming from another thicket, coming up through that draw, going to the CRP. And I, don't, I didn't see hard. I saw one three point three days in a row. And that means as far as I'll, my dad was seeing bucks chasing does, the the guys that were hunting on the other side of the same farm, they saw 19 bucks one day. And I saw a three-point. But, you know, I was, it's where I was at. They had, they had, I even got down and looked. There was no white, off the white, there was no acorns. I scraped the leaves back. There was no acorns in there. And the deer had, were just not using that particular area. But the rest of that farm, I mean, my dad saw, he saw a buck chasing a doe every day. We saw one, he, they all, he had three bucks come by on one doe. And he said it was the most, gosh, awful grunting and snorting and, you know, he never heard in his life. But uh, it was just, I was in a, I was gar hole, I guess, on, on yeah. this particular trip, so. So the rutting activity was going on, you just wasn't in the right spot yeah. to see it. Right. Now, I mean, one, one uh, kid up there killed a nice 11 point. And, uh, I mean, he was, I had to, we went loaded. He was just, you could smell it. He was just ruddy. His hawks were black, you know. So, I mean, they were, he killed that deer at, at 1 o'clock. He got in the stand at 12 o'clock, shot that deer at 1. So that deer was up. He was on his feet. He was moving, so. You know, my my dad, I, I killed one in Kentucky that opening morning. My dad shot his at, I believe it was 10 after 12 when he shot his. The two does had come out and the buck come to the edge of, field downwind just checking them yep. not even get a shot there yeah that 11 o'clock to one o'clock anytime it's legal to be out there is a good time when the when the heat is on isn't it what what it are is. you what are you seeing down south right now you y'all hunted in the in the delta what's happening there there not a whole lot um it's uh, this i'm hoping this is not i hope this is not how my season is gonna go um but like I said, I hunted a, a place where last year me and my dad hunted in there. We killed two bucks, three hunts on the same on the same tree last year. So I went in there. I went in there, um, you know, and hung some stands for me and Mitch. And we did not see. I saw one deer. I think may have been a buck about nine o'clock in the morning, moving through some hardwoods. But um, they're still on. The, this is a place. Usually when I go up there and hunt this place, it's in December. There's been a little more pressure been put on the deer, and because it's, and they've got they kind of moving towards the thicket. But we were up there opening their rifle season, 
and we had a tremendous acorn crop this year. And even on my food plots, I've seen deer since these white oaks started dropping. I've, my pictures have cut down on my plots and on our feeders. They're in the woods on the acorns right now. They're getting fattened up. I talked to a guy. Me and Mitch were going in about two o'clock one afternoon, and I met a guy. He was coming out. He had a nice about an 18, 19 inch ten, uh, ten point on the back of his four wheeler. So I stopped, talked to him. I said, "We know what time? Did you, what time did you get it?" He said. He said, I killed this deer at 11.05. He said he was just up, just browsing around. He wasn't walking. He wasn't, he said he was just up. I just caught some movement by a slough, and he was out there just nipping them leaves on trees at that slough. So they're still uh, in a feeding pattern, and then they're still on the acres. Like yesterday, we went to our, my camp. I spent a couple hours moving some stands, checking cameras. I just started seeing a few scrapes, small. I said, I said they're, they're small scrapes, but I mean, they ain't much, somewhat much bigger than my than my hat. I think those are some young bucks. And as far as the older bucks, I mean, they're just not. They're moving late at night. You know, they're on the acres right now. They're just they're still in that. You know, I guess that pre pre rut pattern. So I'm not even seeing. I went and hung and stay in a place yesterday too. And it's also just a little saddle on the ridge. Always got scrapes on it. And no scrapes yet. It's just too early. They're just they're not they're not even I would say they're not even even in that pre rut phase yet. So they're still kinda of on those feeding patterns, I think. What what's your hunting season look like the rest of the way? What all you got lined up, where you going and how much you going? Well, <clears throat> I, we're going we're gonna stay around here most I'm actually I'm trying to build I'm building a camp. Um I rented a at least a half an acre lot on Yazoo River. Um over in Yazoo County, right outside of Saparsha. And um, I'm, we're in the kind of process of getting that set up. I've got a camper I'm going to put on it. If I get that camper over there in time, then uh, we're going to hunt the Delta Zone, some of that National Forest, there's some places over there. Uh, my son, he got him a bow, and he's uh, he wants to he wants to shoot him a deer with, with a bow. And uh, we're going to, there's one place over there that's bow hunting only. So we're going to uh, hit that some after the deer around here where I'm at, usually after Christmas, right around Christmas, that's when they're starting to, I would say, the chasing phase. Now, on my farm, some of the best deer I've killed on my place have been around January 15th. We have a late rut. I mean, in this part of the county, my camp is, is 30 minutes or 25 minutes south of my house. They're rutting at Christmas. You know, 25 minutes north, and just on my farm, I see more bucks chasing does in, you know, mid-January. And it may be the second rut that I'm catching when they're having to move more, but I, I see a lot of bucks. I mean, I'm looking, I got one right here on my wall. I'm looking, I killed him January 16th. And I hunted that deer, I still, I got a picture of that deer in December. And I killed that deer literally a mile from where I was hunting him at. I just... I mean, I could see the front porch light of my dad's front porch when I shot that deer. I was putting a pop-up blind for my boy, trying to shoot some does, let him shoot some does where the, the kill had been feeding cows and the ryegrass had come up. And I just went and said, I'm going to sit here while I'm here. And about 5.15, this deer I've been hunting all year, he, he pops out, walks across a wide open pasture, and I shoot him at 70 yards. I mean, <laughs> you know, I've been hunting this sucker a mile back in the swamp. <laughs> Sneaking in before daylight, you know, and 
I went and sat in the folding chair and shot. Him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. No, but yeah, no he was so ruddy. He was just so ruddy. I could smell him before I got to him. So I, where we're at, we don't really start rutting until later on. So that's what, you know, we've got almost three weeks off at Christmas. So uh, we're going to be in a, we're going to hunt here on my little farm. I've got a couple of bucks that my boy wants to kill. So I got an old deer in my calf I want to kill. And we're going to try to go to the Delta some. He, he likes going to the Delta. He just likes it. He likes to shoot them squirrels up there. He's a guy to duck hunt a little bit. So we're going to try to. Go up there and shoot a wood duck or something and just kind of get away from the house a little bit. Anything yeah. he wants to do, we're going to do it. So Good time, good memories, good times together. You know, Justin, I can't resist asking you this. And, and you can leave out body parts, you know, but in your day, or you cannot answer, it's up to you. But in your days working in the emergency room, what's the craziest thing you've ever seen? <laughs> Talk about a loaded question. Let me try to keep this G-rated. Um, oh, no, you can go X-rated. We don't care. <laughs> yeah. No, shit, don't mind. That's, uh, hurt my feelings. We had, a, we had a particular individual uh, one day. I was I was actually probably still, maybe did in my last year of school. It was a Saturday, and I was working on Saturday. And uh, the doctor ordered an X-ray. He come over there, and he had a grin on his face. And I said, "What?" I said, "What's the deal?" He said, "I want a copy of this to put in my personal file." I said, "Okay." <laughs> he said, "Double it." He said, "You can you can put two pieces back. We still use X-ray film, and they don't use film anymore." But this, so he said, "Put two films in there, and you can what's called double expose it." He said, "I want it of his pelvic area." I said, "Okay." <laughs> so I went and I, you know, I shot it. Went in the dark room, you know, with the lights out. When I opened the door, it was like. There was 10 doctors standing there, like waiting on that film to come out. I'm like, y'all get out of my way, move. And I pushed them out. Y'all move. I got to check my stuff first. And I pulled this film out and I throwed it on a, a little board, the light board. And this guy had a, um, a jar that was stuck up in a very particular area. And uh, I, I said, what in the world? He says, he says, so. Concord grape jar that's stuck in his rectum. And I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, but what's most impressive is look right above the grape jar. I said, well, he said, that's the potato. <laughs> <laughs> so suppose <laughs> this guy had gotten, this guy had gotten high and um, passed out and, and his friends had, had stuck this up his but you know, I'm talking a, a, a jar. And uh, when he woke up, he comes to the doctor. So don't do drugs, kids. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, what, it was a Kroger Kroger jelly, wasn't it? Kroger Kroger grape jelly? brand Concord because we went to surgery and we Concord did in surgery. And one of the doctors, he took a picture of it, holding a potato in one hand and Kroger <laughs> Concord grape. <laughs> and they actually, he almost this, this guy almost got fired. There used to be a site called Rotten.com on the internet. I, I, and I know that site. <laughs> he put it on Rotten.com. Now, of course, he was covered up. You couldn't see his face, but we all knew what doctor took took it out. <laughs> and uh, so, but now the bad thing is, um, 
after I had graduated and had moved on, I had a kid, one of the, the people under me told me they had a guy came in a year. We thought the guy, we heard the guy had passed. He had died from perforated colon. But we had a guy come in. They said they had a guy come in with a shampoo bottle stuck in it. And he said they made the comment, you think I would have learned my lesson the first time. So, so same old guy, huh? I don't know if it's the same guy or not, you know. And I've had, you know, guns, you know, gunshot victims, stabbing victims. We had a guy one time, you know, they come in. He had been uh he had been shot in the abdomen and uh, he was awake. It was just kinda it and really it just kinda went to that little fatty part of his stomach. And we were talking to him, we were doing X rays and the doctor walked in, he said, Look at him, look at his name and says, Now weren't you in here last month? Didn't I fix you up with the stab one? And he said, Oh yeah, he said that was a uh, that was just a misunderstanding. He shot me on purpose this time. <laughs> but, you know, I've seen some, I've seen some interesting stuff. I just tell you that. I, I bet so. Well, that yeah, that's a makes you think twice before you buy grape jelly. You might go to another, <laughs> go to another, yeah. go to another brand or whatever. Exactly. I, I don't think I can go back to. I tell my wife, don't get Kroger. Yeah, just at least don't, don't stay away from the Concord grape. You know? Yeah, the Concord grape. <laughs> Shed, you got any anything further for Justin? Justin, then is there anything from a scent lure standpoint that uh, is helpful to know that we didn't ask you to cover? Shed, I'll let you go first there. Uh, next next time you're up here at Duke Traps, let me know. I'm, I want you uh, – I got a lot of coyotes, and I've messed with them a little bit, but I want you to come show me how what I need to do to – or what – what you do to trap them and what uh and what number traps you're using from duke I had a friend of mine he came down he traps he's from ohio and he used to come down every couple of years he'd do a lot of beaver trapping and bobcats because you can't trap cats up there he said a lot of coyote traps but he felt like his traps i want to say he was using i can't i i, I can't remember what but he felt like it, the coyotes now like he catches them up north on that size but down here, he felt like if coyotes were quicker and popping out of them. And I said, mm-hmm. well, it could be because we got so many poisonous snakes and other stuff that you don't have up north that them coyotes react a lot quicker from. But he felt, I mean, he had several that he'd just catch the toe on. He said, I'm going to have to go to a bigger size trap to catch these down here. Yeah, I, uh, so I mostly, which we live market trap. We have a live market in Mississippi. That's one reason. I mean, the fur yeah. down here, you know, so, the fur is really not worth anything especially on coyote I, i'm the vice president where i just i just rotated off i've been the vice president of our, of our state trapping association for four years and i'm i'm responsible for putting on the first sale in february in you know, Ocasio every year and literally i saw a coyote and it was not a bad looking coyote uh come across the table and it brought 75 cents oh i believe it now, you can take that same coat and you can go sell it to a running pen and get $75 for it. So that's the reason we don't, I mean, the coats around here just aren't, are not good, just the quality. But I, you know, my traps are set up for live market so that, you know, it's, a, it's the least amount of damage. You know, I can't sell one that's got a broken toe, you know, or got a broken foot. So you know, my, my stuff, and I use Duke, I use those, those Duke 550s. And uh, I've got mine set up, you know, just for for, the, for that live market trapping. But you know, the 550 or the number two is what I is what I you know what I use a lot on, on coyotes and, and and on cats too. So, but we've actually I got a 
Um, you go to YouTube and Google Trapping Time TV. I've got a uh, two buddies from Pennsylvania that they've been coming down here mm, about six years because uh, again they only get like two bobcats in PA and they can't catch any otters. And uh, he uh, Robbie owns a TV show called Trapping Time TV, so they'll come down here. They, they haven't been since COVID really hit. They'll spend a week and a half down here trapping and filming, and we've been, we've had about uh, we've had several. You know, we run it on the the Pursuit Channel. Um, we've had you know all of our episodes and stuff are on there, and it's got me on there. You know how I coyote trap down here versus how they coyote traps in in Pennsylvania is a little bit different. And it's pretty much the same, but I you know it's a little bit different. The dirt's a little bit different, but you can go on there on Trapping Time TV and you can watch episodes and kind of. Whenever you get bored, and you can see some how we how I coyote trap on there too. So, yeah, Justin, where can if folks are interested in finding more out more about uh, Old South Lures? Where where can they look you up and check you out at? Well, we got a website, uh, OldSouthLures.com. I mean, it's uh, that's about as simple as it is, and it's OldSouthLures.com. I've got everything, you know, broke down as far as the trapping stuff by the species, you know, land or water, deer, you know, deer urine, cover scents. I got everything, you know, broke down by category. You know, you can click on it. I also got a Facebook page, uh, you know, Old South Lures on the face on Facebook, and you can get on there, send me, send me a message. I get a lot of folks asking questions, you know, about stuff, or you know, and uh. Uh, you can send me a message or, you know, give me a call. If I don't answer the phone, leave me a message and I'll call you back. Because I'm, a lot of times I may walk off and I even take my phone. My wife gets mad. Why do you got a cell phone? I said, well, guess I need it, but you leave it at home all the time. I said, well, I don't know if I know where I'm at. <laughs> That's right. Sometimes you, you don't want to be found. That's right. So, Wait, but yeah, I'll be, anybody has any questions, I'll be more glad to help them talk to anybody about it. So. Well, just as always, a pleasure speaking with you. Always enjoy it. You're always fun to listen to, and you got some great stories, and appreciate your information. Well, I appreciate y'all having me on. Yes, sir. Hey, Thank happy you. Thanksgiving to you both. Get out there and get out there and kill something. I, this week of Thanksgiving, and people that actually know something would probably say, yeah, he don't know what he's talking about. But just my observations, this is an awful good week up here in Missouri. You know, the peak of the ruts passed us, but that week of Thanksgiving seemed like the – for me, on my cameras, I get daylight pictures of good bucks, and I've uh-huh. I've had a lot of days at Thanksgiving Day, you know, because as we're eating dinner, you know, I've had bucks I've been looking for all year. That's the day they show was on Thanksgiving. I've threatened a few years of I ain't gonna be here next year, but I hadn't done that. I hadn't done that yet. My son's in a stand right now over in Kentucky, trying to get in as as much as he can. He just texted me and said he's seeing a whole lot of movement, seen a couple of good ones, but not the, not the one he's looking for. So. Good time of year yeah, to be in the woods. What's that, Shed? The last three out of four years, I've killed a good buck this week in Ohio. This will be the first first time in four or five years I ain't hunted up there. Well, since my kid's playing football, I'm yeah. sure that's done for You know, in both, but... in both you guys, the reason Shed ain't hunting is because his son's playing the state football playoffs. And, Justin, you mentioned earlier that uh, – you, you and your son went hunting, and you didn't even take a gun. Now, that's that's fatherly love right there, isn't it? <laughs> Was there some times you want to jerk that sucker from him and take it? 
and we uh, no, we really uh, now it was we saw some pigs one day and I'm like Nick shoot one of them pigs. I'm waiting on a buck. I'm like, well shoot a pig. We got enough bacon. I said if you don't give me if you don't shoot a pig, I'll fix and take that gun and shoot one <laughs> shoot one for you. And I said shoot one of them pigs. But we had got a picture of a pretty good eight point in there, and he I mean his set. His sister has killed more bucks than he has, and that's that's really weighing on his mind. His driving, I can man. take that girl of mine. I can take her hunting, and we'd be there an hour. She kills a buck. It might be a small buck, but she kills a buck every time she goes. And first thing she does is she calls Mitch. Guess what I kill? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Mitch can lay a doe down anywhere, and he's got he he's been passing like I ain't shooting another doe. Until I get a bug, I can mount. So, so I mean, so we um, he's he's kind of he's learning at a young age to pass them up, but he's got he's got some motivation because his little sister she just she likes to needle him a little bit. So, well, you need to you need to venture up again to West Point there next and let Shed do a little hog hunting with you. Shed hog hunts and knifes them suckers and with dogs and stabs them. So you get up close and personal with them things. We've actually down here where I'm at, we've just we've we've got a hog population that's starting to grow. Luckily they're not in my part of camp, down at my camp. I mean, long story short, we got a guy that turned two hundred hogs loose. And they hit the swamp and they just they blew up. And we've got hogs around here now but we've never had hogs before. So we've been we've been trying to kill them out. We got some boys that they went and got some hog dogs and stuff, some bay dogs, and we've been trying. They after Christmas, it got it's got so bad after Christmas. The game boards where you normally can't ride your four wheelers, your ATVs in the woods. They told them go in there, ride it, and hunt them hogs, hunt them hogs out. Now, what kind of trouble you know, caused that old boy that turned them loose? Did, did the trouble come raining down on him? They didn't do anything to him because what he did, he turned them loose in his pasture, and he had a bad fence on one side and they got out and uh but reason we know is we killed some of them and he kind of got upset at us and because <laughs> his his place is is a his place a section of land than my camp and he came over and said we know we'll have some hogs to hunt in these woods him and his brother went on a hog hunt in the delta and they really liked it so they they wanted to experience the same thing here at the hunt hole and he, they started you know, buying hogs at the sale barn and, you know, getting hogs from people that had trapped them and they turned them loose because so he come over there to camp like, y'all won't shoot these hogs, we'll have a hog population in a year or so. And I'm like, well, I don't want them. <laughs> I don't want I don't want any hogs down here. Mm-hmm. I said, I got some good turkeys in these woods and I got some good deer. I don't want hogs. And we called a game, we talked to the game of fish about it. And of course, you know, in the local warden, he's a great guy. He's like, you know, and he went over and looked at it. He said, I can't, legally, I can't do anything because they just happened to get out, according to him. He said, but I'm just going to tell y'all, do what you got to do to take care of the problem. <laughs> I said, that's all. I said, yes, sir. That's all we need to hear. Yeah. You got gators, too, down there, don't you? Oh, yeah. We, uh, we, we alligator hunt. I don't know if you can see this. That's, uh, well, that's one of my better ones right there. That's a, that looks like a big, big enough for me to go the other way. That was, that was 12-6. So we put in, 
I've actually, I got a buddy of mine that came from South Dakota last year. We swapped out a gator hunt for a mule deer hunt. He came down here and killed a uh, gator a little over. I drew, drew a tag and I took him with me and we harvested a nine footer, a little over nine foot the last night. But uh, so I, I'm going to South Dakota at some point to mule deer hunt with him. But uh, I said we were hunting, we were hunting this past weekend. It was 28 degrees Saturday morning, and I saw five alligators laying on the bank. Mm. And one of them, one of them was close to 13 foot. He was a uh, he was a dude. I'm right at that line where you go, I'm about 20 minutes north of West Point. You get uh-huh. right into West Point and just a hair, so you start getting into the gators. Right? You get north. I haven't seen any up right here, but I mean, they ain't the same creek. They ain't in it. Yeah. But, My, but uh, uh, we, we yeah. just, I don't know what it is, but it's just we're right there on that line. Yeah, my cousin actually lives in Houston, Mississippi. He's a game warden, and you know they they have some some nuisance calls on gators around there, but they're you know they're small. They don't get to you know they don't get to the thirteen fourteen foot. Now down where we gator hunt in Port Gibson, I mean they're thick as fleas. You, that's what you you sit there on a river and not see nothing. And about ten minutes after the sun goes down, you cut your spotlight on, all you see is, is you know red eyes. You know, just everywhere, and we killed some. We killed and seen some really, really big creatures down there. So, what, what's as big as a as a gator will get down there? I mean, I think thirteen foot's awful, awful big. But state record right now is fourteen foot, and I want to say close to eight hundred pounds is 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 what the state record is. But and and I actually I talked to. Uh, I read a, a study that uh, the Game of Fish did, and uh, uh, I, I read anything I get my hands on as far as wildlife. But, uh, Ricky Flint, they had a study that in the last in the last six or seven years, the body weight of the gators on the Mississippi down around Port Gibson, yeah, and on the Yazoo River, their body weights have increased by about hundred pounds in the last five years. They were also in the last five to six years is when the Asian carp, well, jumping carp have really moved in and gotten thick. So they're kind of wondering if, you know, they're not saying there's a correlation with it, but if you've ever, if you've been in a boat in the Yazoo River or on the Bayou Pierre, you know why. I mean, you, you know, you ride down there and there's 40 pound fish jumping out of the water hitting you in the head. You know, I got hit in the throat one night last year. I about, about took, we were, Going down a river, and I just happened to look. I kind of turned my head, and I caught one in the throat. I mean, I was, you know, I had fish slime all over me. But uh, you'll see them floating dead all the time. And, I mean, those, those gators are just, they have an unlimited food source down there now. So, I might, you know, they'll, there's probably some 15-footers in some of that backwater, I would say. But the body weight's what I really have been impressed with. I mean, we caught, we caught one. Couple years ago, that weighed we, we took it to the co-op and weighed it. It was six hundred forty-nine pounds, and it took it took the three of us in our boat and another boat pulling up beside us. It took about six guys to load that six hundred pounds of dead weight. So, what you see on swamp people is a bunch of BS, if you ask me. Eight hundred pound gator and they're rolling it over the side of the boat. That's that's bull. 
Hey, how far is a gator from your house right now, Justin? How far are you from one? Mm, about 200 yards. <laughs> I got one in the pond behind the house. I'll be dang. They, they cause you, got, cause uh, you any trouble? No, I've had three gators in that pond in the last 10 years. Now, one of them, he got a little aggressive. I would go out there fishing. If I had a buzz bait, he would come at you just because he heard that buzzing. But, uh, I mean, they're, 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 you know, four or five foot. They're not really into that. I had one, I had a bunch of ducks one time. He, I think he had a duck. And, uh, all the ducks, of course, all the ducks left the pond and came up on there and they crapped on my dad's carport. And, and duck poop don't wash off real easy. So I had, to, I had to get rid of the ducks. But actually, the swamp that we own is, there's two creeks that run that meet on our place. And it actually runs into the Pearl River. So and it's full of gators, so we're constant. There's, and every, there's a bunch of beaver ponds and stuff over there. We had a guy over there a couple of years ago. It's probably been 10 years ago that was, uh, they were over clearing some land around one of those sloughs over there on a, on a big dozer. And he, he asked my dad, he was from Picayune, which is down there on, on, on the coast, towards, you know, down there south of Mississippi. He asked my daddy, y'all ever lost any deer dogs over here during deer season? They said, no, we just mostly still hunt over here. I don't assume what dog hunting we do is down at our camp. He said, why? He said, well, I've been, you know, lived my whole life on the coast. I've seen a lot of alligators. He said, there's a gator laying on this slough back here. He said, one of the biggest ones I've ever seen. He said, he's 13 feet or more. So, and I mean, and it's, man, that's right now where I duck hunt at. So, uh, we, we duck hunt back off in there. So, but we've got, we've got a ton of, we just got a ton of them around here. You got to keep your head on a swivel and be be alert, I guess, don't you? Well, well, I don't at that particular area of the swamp. I don't go in and bow hunt it just because I ain't scared of snakes, but I ain't gonna try my luck. There's probably <laughs> some cottonmouths over there that will touch you off. So I, you know, I hunt it. I don't go over there because it gets it gets cold. That's when I because it's a lot of water and a lot of deer over there too. So I kind of wait till it gets cold and I'll go where. And that's where I deer hunt around that. So, well, guys, hey, we'll we'll let you get to your days, and sure appreciate you taking time with us. Happy Thanksgiving to, to both of you, Justin. Appreciate uh, appreciate you being on with us today. I appreciate you guys. Y'all have a good Thanksgiving. Good holiday. See you, gentlemen. Thank you for spending time today with Shed Nine and our guest, Mr. Justin Rogers of Old South Lures. Justin's a heck of a good guy and has a variety of experiences to draw from having worked in the medical field and currently serving as a high school athletic coach and classroom teacher, and also from his work and experiences in the hunting and outdoor industry. I've really enjoyed getting to know Justin over the past few years, and I've come to appreciate his passion and enthusiasm for the outdoors, as well as his love and commitment to his family. Please assist Shed and I by liking and rating today's episode with Justin and by subscribing to the Foshi Creek Podcast. We're not a sponsored podcast, so the only way we can reach a broader audience is by word of mouth and the number of subscriptions, likes, and positive ratings we receive. Please share our content on your social media platforms and with all your hunting and outdoor friends. Thank you again for listening, and as always, we learned everything we knew down on Foshi Creek. Well, down on Foshi Creek, well, that's where we all would meet, skipping rocks, skipping school. Daddy taught us a golden rule with an okay pole, a shitty spot to sit. We learned everything we knew at Old Foshy Creek.